saved me was going to therapy and reading. Because then I had to figure out what's important to you and why are you making music for? Because it's not for any of this other stuff. It's from when I was young. I want an emotional response. I want to hear stories. I want to connect with the melody. I want to connect with music. All this other stuff outside of it is just external shit. Welcome to Making Conversation with me, Grant Bryden, a podcast about music, creativity and careers. For this series, I've sat down with a range of artists and creative professionals in order to learn about how their unique experiences and perspectives can help us in our own creative and business practices. For this episode, I spoke to vocalist, songwriter and producer Tom Tripp. We talked about his journey from being a bedroom producer, releasing songs on SoundCloud while working retail jobs, to releasing his breakthrough track Aurelia on Nao's Little Tokyo label, performing with Muramasa at Coachella, and the creative process behind his latest EP, Flag. Tom also speaks on the peaks and troughs that come with a creative career, and how therapy helped him to reconnect with his purpose as a musician. My first memory like of getting into music and really want really wanting to understand it was grime. I was like eleven or ten. Yeah. And there's this song called On the Block. Right. And um I forgot who produced it, but it's on YouTube. You can go and type in on the block instrumental. The track had D um D Dark, Crucial, a lot of guys from my area. And the beat, the instrumental was so emotional, I was like I used to listen to the instrumental by itself and not right. the actual song. And I just keep going through it. Why do I have an emotional reaction to this song? What is it about this beat that's making me like feel sad or making me feel this way? So a lot of early grime instrumentals and the melodies and the flutes and the instruments that were being used in the beats was what made me want to make beats and produce and, you know, make music. So I think, um, yeah, on the block instrumental, all the songs I used to have on my phone, on my... On my um, Walkman, I just had a bunch of instrumentals and um, On The Block was a big one. Oh, there's another song called uh, P2J Project, Hands In The Air. P2J actually is a mad producer now. He did Burn, he just did Burner Boy's album. He did one of the biggest grime songs back in the day. It's called P2J Project, Hands In The Air. And that also, the instrumental was just, it was like a, it's like a, it's like a musical theater. Like it had strings. Remember Nighty Violins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that, mate? Yeah. It's like, Imagine being like 11 years, like that beat was, it made me go crazy. So I had to get into producing music and I had to understand how these people are doing this and how they're making the melodies. So yeah. the first CD in my house was So Solid Crew. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Solid yeah. Crew. It was that and Outcast. Which Outcast? Speaker Box and the Love yeah. Below. So I used to, I had a Walkman player, I had a CD player and I used to play So Solid Crew. I had like four tracks that I loved. I kept going back and listening to them songs. And then um, I kept listening to the uh, the, the Love Below yeah. side. I didn't care about the Big Boy side. It was two CDs. Yeah, one yeah, was yeah. Big Boy and one was Andre 3000. Yeah. I kept listening to Andre 3000. Hey Ya, uh, um, Roses. All them songs were like my first memories. But yeah, I was consuming stuff through my Walkman CD player. But when it came to Grime, when I was like 12, I had a Bluetooth... What was it MP3 player? Yeah, the MP3 players. Remember them? You yeah, had yeah, thirty yeah. songs. Thirty. I remember I had one from Argos, and I had all the my Graham songs on that little. Um, you had to choose what songs you wanted to put on it, and had yeah. that for like your week. And then after after the MP3 players was Bluetooth phones. Remember that? Yeah, well, Samsungs and Walkmans and 
or the Walkman's phone and um, people were just sending songs via Bluetooth and infrared. So it was at this point, it was more the instrumentals that you were interested yeah. in than the lyrics. Yeah, forget the lyrics. I don't care. I'll spit the bars all day, but the instrumentals, I was just playing instrumentals. For, my phone was full up with beats. That was it. Because yeah. it just made me feel something. I loved it. Loved it, man. A lot of the um, Maniac, Teen Strider stuff back in the day. Even Tiny Temper stuff back in the day, man. It, it just made me so excited. And I started making beats as well. Yeah, so at what point at what point did it transition from like you're a fan of the music mm -hmm. to you're now participating in making beats? I was 14 and I asked my parents for 20 pounds each so I could buy a MIDI keyboard of some boy I met on MSN who was right. spitting, who made grand music. He said, oh, yo, I've got a keyboard for you. And for all I know, I was watching all of the chipmunk videos on YouTube and seeing the producers in a studio and they all had this keyboard. They're all making beats on their keyboard. So I was like, I need to be, if I want to be a producer, I've got to have one of their MIDI keyboards. So my parents gave me 20 pounds each. My big bro walked with me to Tottenham and we went and bought this keyboard off this guy. I came back home and I still have it now, that right. keyboard, I'm going to frame it. And um, I started, uh, oh, I asked somebody in my school, I was like, um, how can I make beats and songs? You've got to get Fruit Loops. I was like, how did I get that? Some boy in year 10 gave me uh, a, a cracked a CD, right. a CD with Fruit Loops on it. And I went home, I installed it, and it has things like Fruit Loops 5, I think. And I just started making little beats on Fruit Loops. And I started recording myself as well, actually. So right. yeah, that was when I was like, I was 14 making beats on Fruit Loops. And that's when I started trying to figure out how they were doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and recording yourself. What were you? Argos mic. Okay, ten pound mic. I only records my mum was cooking downstairs because she shut the door. I didn't want nobody to hear me like spitting bars and chatting about because grind bars are a bit mad. Yeah, I yeah, was saying yeah. some madness about my shanky. Da -da 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 -da. So I was recording for like an hour after I get back from school. I go get her tights and put it over the microphone as a pop filter. Right, it was a really shitty mic from Argos. So I put on like a sock or a tight and I just record like other people's bars, like other artists' bars on the beats I was making. And slowly I was getting it. I right. understood what they were doing. People send me like sounds and sending me claps and kicks and, and violins and stuff. And yeah. What was it first like when you got that software and you got that stuff? Was oh. it a lot of failure and a lot of... No, I was sick when oh, I get go. Right. I'm very tech. I've always been techie. Because right. I was chipping PSPs. I was doing everything with tech. Like I was a nerd. I didn't really go outside. So I was always playing games on my PSP. So when it came to me installing Fruity Loops and making beats, it was calm. Because I, I don't know, I don't know, I think I'm gifted. No, yeah. I am gifted. Yeah. I am gifted and it wasn't hard for me to get into it. I just had to realise how to like make full songs and export it and get it online. Yeah. Yeah, I was and so sick. Did you release any of the grime stuff? Did of you? course. Yeah. Part of my first tune when I was 12. I actually got my first on SoundCloud. Right. I, it's on private, but I was a fucking star. Imagine making a song in year seven, everyone hears it. Like you just started school and you and your boy. I lied to my mum. I said I was going to my friend's birthday party, but... I was going to my boy's studio in Camden and Camden was bad back then. But he had this studio in his room, like just one mic and a computer. And we made up, my, my name was called Hypes Kid. <laughs> I was Hypes Kid and then we made this tune, it was a freestyle and it went massive in our school. I went to school in Finchley. Oh, and that was, that was the start of it, man. That was the start. I was good on mic from 12 years old. I knew it. So, how yeah. did you distribute that tune? Was it Bluetooth or was it like SoundCloud at that oh, point? Or what was it? On? MySpace. Right, yeah, it yeah. It was definitely yeah, MySpace. Okay. And the boy who made, the boy who studio was, he was quite a big guy in like year 10, year 11, and I was in year 7. So he just, yo, these, these are my two youngers. And then he put it on like his, he put his MySpace, and everyone's like, yo, we heard the tune. It was crazy. Yeah. MySpace was the one back then. And then I know Timberland 
was important? When did huge that start? I mean, I guess when I was like 15, because like, once, because Grime was taking, you know, when it was getting really pop. Yeah. I don't know what year that was, but it was getting quite pop and it wasn't what it used to be. The instrumentals weren't as, as they didn't hit me as much as they used to. So I started listening to more music and more pop stuff. So Timberland, when I started hearing Justin Timberlake's Love Stoned. Yeah. Remember the end yeah, yeah, of yeah, the, that the White Room. Oh yeah, my, yeah, yeah. to this day, bro. When I heard the end of that song, um, what is it? She's got me love stone. That's I think that she knows. I think that she. Oh my lord! I almost cried. That was when I was like, "Yo, music is for me, bro." I almost cried. That is the most emotional thing I've ever heard, ever more than that Emily soundtrack. That is crazy. Um, so Timbaland, I started hearing it's too late to apologize. All them beats, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Promiscuous Girl is my favorite beat in the whole world. Promiscuous Girl, Timbaland, he just made music that made me excited. And the production again was what got me. He had his drums were mental, his melodies, his little sound effects he do in the background behind Justin and Nelly Furtado. So when that got to me, I was like, all right, this is the next level of I'm connecting to production again. Because it excited me again, yeah. How did that start to like work its way into your music? Were, were you still making grime, but you were kind of like hearing this stuff? Yeah, I stopped making grime, and then I kind of stopped recording it altogether. Okay, I was just making beats, right, for years, for like until I got to Shoreditch and I started working in out here again. I stopped, I stopped recording because I don't know, grime was too mainstream, and I didn't have anything that made me want to record. I just wanted to make beats. I was always making beats still, but I wasn't recording, right, until out yeah. here and then but yeah and so the beats are like what are the beats sounding like at this point at this point i was making quite pop stuff as well i followed a lot of mainstream shit i was trying to make like like a lot of david get like just a lot right. of cheesy stuff just to see if i could do it though a lot of a uh, mr hudson type tracks a lot of kanye stuff when i was 15 that i've read in my recent interview um, when i was 15 when dark fantasy dropped gorillas dropped plastic beach there was so much stuff that was coming out at that time. My palette just completely changed and Timberland kind of went out of the picture. And then the beats started taking a more electronic but relaxed approach rather than like pop, R&B. So I went through the phases. I just, yeah. whatever inspired me is what I would follow. Yeah. Until it, something made me want to sing. Yeah. Because I guess in, in any sort of creative field, I guess you start by having some sort of influence and sort of like imitating a bit of course what they're doing until 100%. you sort of because obviously you're trying these things out like you said to see if you could do that. if I could do it yeah but then obviously something hits where like it starts to become you and it starts to become a reflection of what you're doing right, what, yeah. when, when would you say that started to happen for you when I started to hear a lot of Samfar Miramasa Neo even J.D. Hart um, a lot more electronic electronic music a lot of the SoundCloud wave this whole lecture and stuff. Once I started hearing British people singing quite quite cool stuff, like when I heard a lot of Neo, I was like, "This is hard." Like, who's made like this beat is, is slapping, but she's she's like jamming it like it's some type of old funk Prince record. And when I heard Jay Paul, when I heard um, the XX, yeah, I was like, "Okay, London." Then I I felt proud of London again because the only time I felt that was when Grime was popping when I was when I was a youth. But then I went into the US Timberland stuff and tried to figure it out. But then that faded and then 17, 18, around like 2016, 2015, I started hearing all of these guys I just mentioned. And I said, this sounds like something I'm comfortable with doing. I want to make the beats and I want to try and sing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So around that time. 
like four years ago. So would you say you've always had this, like a sort of more globally minded in terms of like your aspiration? You yeah. want music that's going to go travel further than of course. like your local yes, area? For sure. 100%. Because I was listening to music that wasn't just from London. I was listening to music that was from everywhere. Like I was like black kids on a block playing London already. <laughs> I love Born to Die. That song's hard. Yeah. But like no one's going to play that around, you know, like... So I was listening to a lot of global music, so it, it kind of I do believe like what you put in your mind is what you kind of what kind of comes out. Yeah. So if you're just feeding yourself grime every day, grime, 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 you're not gonna know much about other stuff until you explore. So I try to be a bit more open with what I listen to, and it all influence what I start to make. Yeah. Eventually. How, how did that compare with the people around you? What were the people around you listening to? Were, were all your friends similarly? <laughs> Mm, no, I've, I'm quite alone in this thing. I was quite alone in my head with what I listened to because I always thought, because of where I come from, man, I always thought like I'd be like judged differently. Like if I'm singing Lady Gaga, but her album was hard because I come at it from a music perspective. Is it good? Does it give me an emotional response? Yes. Okay. I don't care about the genre. So I'll be playing all these songs and um, people around me wouldn't be listening to the stuff. Like no way. Yeah. Nobody was A lot of my friends from school Kind of stay in their area They stay listen to only like UK music Only like Afrobeat They'll never step out They'll never even step out To North East London They'll just stay in North So I was quite alone But That was cool Because that's what made me Be okay To be where I am now You know I was I just felt comfortable In my own bubble Listening to what I listened to Recording what I recorded And then eventually It kind of worked Yeah So people around me Weren't listening to what I was No way They wasn't Kind of sad yeah, kind of sad, man. I wish people could be more open with like their their interests, but people have a perception that you know, even myself, that that's not cool. Yeah, why are you playing that for? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I think obviously we're starting to see some some progress, but I feel like in the rest of the world, people connect to UK music that has singing in it more than they do rapping. What made you wanna sing? What made you like make that transition? I'm quite emotional. Yeah. So the songs that I would relate to the most was the ones where they were actually singing. Yeah. So whether that be Drake's Take Care or Kanye's Love Lockdown, you know, Miramas or What If I Go, like the songs that I was relating to and listening to on a daily basis was songs that people were singing and they weren't rapping. I felt like it, it connects with me more. I want to, I have to emotionally connect to it. So for me, that's the root for that is singing. Yeah. Melodies. I can't get that from rap sometimes. Yeah. Not that rap doesn't affect me, but. I mean, you still rap as well, right? Because on the new... Yeah, that is me showing people that that's where I did come from. So I could still do that. Yeah. But I chose to sing and rap because that was what I think was the best route for me, man. Didn't even know if I could sing or not. I just did it. You know, what I'm interested in with you you specifically is that you're making something from from nothing it's not like someone's given you an instrumental and then you're kind of like reacting to that with your melodies or whatever Uh, you're literally starting with like a blank file an empty Ableton project page when you think of it like that it's actually like making a baby in it it's like you open a program there's nothing there and then maybe within like eight hours you've made this whole fucking masterpiece you've got chorus first and it's not about your ex-girlfriend or it's about how you're feeling and it actually is good. It's crazy, man. Because um, that's how I started when I was 12 making grind beats. I don't know how someone could send me a beat, how someone could just send me a beat and I just, not that I won't do it one day, but I've always been this way of making it myself, starting from nothing and then 
eventually having a song. So I've just always been that way. Aside from the grime stuff, what was the first song that you that you made and then you felt like it was completed? Do you know the issue is right? Because I'm a perfectionist. I never feel like anything's finished, fam. Yeah. I always feel like it's not like I need to do more. But then because of that mentality, I remember one day Neo, she told me, she's like, if you keep touching your songs, you're going to ruin the magic. Yeah. Because you can overproduce You can stuff overproduce well. it. Yeah, I've yeah, done yeah. it. I've done it. I've fully done it. And I know you've done too much, bro. And then do you have to sort of unwind it? No, or? sometimes you really, it comes out. Right. Sometimes, sometimes it comes out, bro. And that's, that's your fault. <laughs> you should have not touched it as many times as happened. And I've regretted it. It's hard. It's, it sounds mad, isn't it? Like right. I'll write a verse, chorus, verse, chorus and whatever. But no, I don't think I felt like anything's complete, fam. Right. Okay, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one. <laughs> so Shy. It's a song called So Shy. Right. Um, my favorite, it's my favorite song I've ever made, actually. My best, my most proudest song I made in Copenhagen with a band called Liss. And that song, it's got so many empty elements to it, but I just, I will never touch that song ever again. It is what it is. I love it right. for what it is. So, yeah. Probably that's complete. But overall, nah. I think I like having a mindset of nothing's ever finished because that way... It's up to the listener, it's up to, you know, however you want to take it, it's how you take it. Do you think that's just part of being an artist? You're always in progress. Yeah, 100%. Do you think you'll ever get to the point where you've completed? I don't want to do that. You don't want to complete <laughs> the game? Wanna, I don't want to complete the game because then what happens after that? After you complete the game, that's dead. <laughs> yeah. That's dead. But obviously I want to get to the mindset where, oh, I'll tell you what, I've got to, I've stopped trying to add so much stuff into my songs. So you see how we say that you can overproduce something. Yeah. Now, when I'm making music, I try and be like, is there a vibe? Mm. I don't care if it's a kick, clap, hat, and a one vocal and bass line. Is there a vibe? All right, cool, leave it. Yeah. Keep writing. Don't be trying to add more phasing hats and all this background vocal effects. No, leave it. Because a lot of the songs that I love are very minimal. Yeah. And it's the top line. It's the melody that catches your ear. It's the simpleness of the song that catches you. I got this thing because I came from producing first. I've always tried to fill out the beat with everything and then put the vocal on top. But now I just try and add little elements. And once there's a basic vibe going, leave it as that. Yeah. So I've learned. I've learned that way. Stop overdoing. How do you think that you figured that out? After my first DP and then putting out a few songs last year, I started comparing it to other people that I like and seeing what the differences were and why I liked certain things in, in their songs and what I didn't like about mine or just what were the ch the differences in production and vocals. And a lot of it was mine was too messy. I had too much stuff going on, whether it's backing vocals, whether it's too much hats in the back. I just compared it to the other songs that I rated and thought, okay, simplify. It's like a build and destroy. So I've been doing a lot now. That, that approach to music is definitely working. Let's do as much as we can, then take out shit and keep the, the bones of the song um, yeah, yeah. That, that'd be it the first thing that a lot of people will have seen from you is obviously Aurelia mm -hmm. what, what's kind of the story behind that song how did you Aurelia came about I was with my ex-girlfriend and it was like going on two years and I just didn't want to be there anymore fam I was just she didn't support man she didn't want me to do like to do well she was very toxic for me and I felt like I was reaching a bad point. So one night I was at her her, her parents' house in Crystal Palace. I remember I drank a whole bottle of red wine and I went to go see her niece. And then I remember I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here. Like I'm done with this shit. I just went home. I went home, I was drunk as shit. 
I opened my laptop and I started playing music and I was playing Neo. And then she had a song called Adore You right. on her album. And there's a little breakdown bit in Adore You. And immediately, some God sent something just happened. And I was like, oh, this bit sounds hard. So I took the chord progression, like the first two chords of the breakdown in that song, opened Ableton and just made da, 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 da. And then oh, if I could play you the first version, I just started humming like, but it wasn't any words and I just made that whole idea on my mum's couch when I got home because I was pissed off at my ex-girlfriend and I wrote the song it came about so quickly like it's you know that you don't think about it you just I made the beat in like an hour fam yeah I listened to a lot of J Paul a lot of Neo and it all I think it was the moment of I listened to so much stuff and I was so stressed out it just hit together and boom I had that song for at least eight months I put it out online one day and then the response was mad, but I deleted it immediately. But right. Within half an hour, I deleted it because I thought, no, I'm going to get judged. I'm too scared. I can't sing. I deleted it. Then somebody emailed me and said, that song you put on your SoundCloud just now, put it back up. It's hard. So I re-uploaded it. Right. And then it was crazy. Oh, my God. It really had changed my life. Um, it's crazy, bro. And then obviously it kind of like gets put out on Nails label and yeah, later, sort of puts yeah. you into that. How long did it take between... Because it took a while, didn't it? Between yeah. the SoundCloud upload and... Yeah, the... I put it out, I put out oh, really, I think, November 2016, then released it. It might have been January or February. So, like, three months, maybe. Two, three months. Right. I was emailing I was emailing Neo Beats for years, fam. A few months in between that. Then I met the whole team. It was great, man. Yeah. Sick. So, what happened to make that... Connection? Connection, yeah. Bear in mind, I've been emailing and meeting my now manager for like three years to ask him to manage me, but he was too busy doing the Neo album and Master album. So he knew of me, but he told me that he wasn't really like impressed yet with what he heard until Aurelia came out. Okay. So he already saw the chain of emails I was emailing him. Then he one day he emailed me saying, uh, yo, my name's Sam Stubbins. I manage Miramasa and Neo. Just heard Aurelia, whatever. Would love you to come meet the family, you know, even just to meet, not even to work, just to chat. And I was fucking ecstatic because I'd been emailing this guy for years. Yeah. And I'd been going to every after party of the artist of Neo trying to just meet Sam and say, manage me. So I was like, yes. And then he came to meet me on my road on Cali Road within like an hour. Right. And um, he goes, yeah, love the tune. Um, I imagine Mary Madison, he's finishing his album. I imagine Neo and stuff. And we'd love to like um, release the tune. Alex has a label called Anchor Point. Neo has a little label called um, Little Tokyo. Yeah. And he, he's like, you can take a pick, you know, like, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go with Neo, innit? Because JD Hart was already on Anchor Point, so I thought, let me just go to Neo. And I did make a really off of her song. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. And then um, we met, she's like my big sister now, man. I love Neo. She's amazing, fam. Yeah. And then, yeah, she said, yeah, let's put it out. And obviously, it was kind of like a, um, it's kind of like an introduction into like Neo's fan base and Mirror's fan base and the little funk R&B thing going on in London. It was a great introduction into the yeah. scene for me, man. So were you kind of studying? It feels like you were studying oh, the scene quite closely. Studying. You know who's managing the artists. I, I don't play, fam. I yeah. tell everyone, I was, years, I was messaging every A&R you could, maybe even you. If I go through my old emails, I'll probably find something. Yeah. I emailed everyone possible just to hear my shit. And people are listening because I saw my SoundCloud plays I had this SoundCloud star thing so I can see who's playing my music yeah. but nobody was emailing me back um, <laughs> I want to know who's managing who I want to see I want to know who's who's doing the press or who's writing who like who wrote up the latest 
a premiere for this song I want to know if he's working in the industry because I want to be in it yeah so what's the only way to do that hit them up yeah so I was emailing everyone I was studying every artist I was studying I had Miramasa quotes on my bedroom wall I think yeah. I still have a few I was we used to I used to read all his Q&A's on Reddit where he'd talk about how he made his beats and stuff and I would take the the tips he said on Q&A and Reddit and implement that into my beats yeah so I was I caught a lot of attraction but I was studying I was going to I snuck into Neo's show Fam, I snuck in, Neo had a headline show at Village Underground and I was working at Box Park. And right. I said, I know, if I can go into the sound check, I'll meet her before the show starts. So I pretended I worked at the building. I was, I was like, I walked, there was no security fam at the, at the gate. I was like, I was like, oh, oh yeah, the pipes are, I think the pipes are okay actually. I was on my phone, right? And I walked straight into Village Underground and I saw her sound check and I was like, oh, let me go, let me try to find Sam in it because he manages her, couldn't find him. But um, yeah, I was studying everyone and just like stalking. To be honest. Why did you want a manager? What was important? I think I needed a manager because I knew I had the music, but it wasn't refined enough and I didn't have the connections. I was I was working in East, but how do I get into these events? How do I get my music to be heard? How do I get on these like sites? Um, how do I get to be played on radio and shit, man? I want to know, like, how do I get these shoots? I need someone to plug me. I need someone to push my shit for me. So I just thought I need a manager, innit? Because I can't do it on my own. I was getting air. Everyone was ignoring me. So and so yeah, I was hitting up every manager, and I had many managers before my one. Now there was just no paperwork, and I hit them all up myself. Nobody found me. Like I emailed everybody. Yeah, said welcome me, and um, I guess, yeah, man, like, you need a manager. Yeah, you you need a manager because shit can go left. You can get finessed in this industry. Like you can get people can take advantage of you. You know, not pay you for your work, and you know, usually for studio time and not pay you and stuff. So I think it. At the time, it was really important to have a manager just yeah. to get stuff rolling and just to get me in the face of people I wanted to be in the faces of, you know. And do you think having um, Sam and Harry like looking after that side of things, do you think now that's given you the kind of confidence to focus on creativity and let them deal with the rest? Yeah, 100%. When I first, I won't even lie, when I first started, I was very hands on. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know who was emailing. I wanted to know who's, who wants to work with me, who, who, who. But then I realised when you're making music, you have to, it's important to let your managers handle that side because that's what they're there for. They, you know, they will handle the emails and they will handle the business and your job is to focus on the music and the creativity. So having Sam and Harry has been great because um, they don't even bombard me with shit that's not important. Like, I mean, when I was new to this, um, when I was new to the scene, we had loads of emails, but Sam would just, people always tell me, hey, I messaged, I messaged Sam and Harry, I didn't get a response. I was like, yeah, I probably know why. Yeah. And my manager told me, he's like, if it's not important, I'm not going to fucking, I'm not going to, he's not going to entertain yeah. like low office or like stuff that's not really important for you to know about. Yeah. So um, that helped me a lot. And now I know if I don't get anything coming through, it's because there's nothing important coming through. Yeah. So they are filter for the bullshit. I guess at, at first though, there's a, I understand that, that you want to be across everything because you have to build a sort of level of, of trust and mm-hmm. know that you can you could leave that to them how how do you think that you developed that i developed that because i think mostly past experiences yeah i had like four or five before my managers i have now and they hadn't had any experience much like i i went to them and they didn't really have anybody underneath them that made me feel like these these people can do something for me and i used to get mistreated a lot by 
older managers like before they would put me in sessions or put me in studios but there's like weed on a table tobacco everywhere speakers don't work and just leave me in a studio and ask me what did you get done today i used to get really treated badly so when i saw what harry and sam was doing for mary massa neo and jd hart i already had a, a trust because it was so sick how they were coming out like and how everything was so like minimal so I thought if I can be a part of that, like I won't even have to worry because I can see what it's working for those guys. So hopefully it should work for me. Yeah. So when we got to work and I'd already had like a, you know, like a, a level of, because the quality of management I could see was great. So I was like, look, like I can't go left, you know. And when I met them, um, the trust was built because like my managers, they always came down to everything. Like they always come down, like even Harry's here, like Sam would come down tomorrow. The day he wanted to manage me, he came down to my road. Yeah. Most managers are like, I'll come to the office. Yeah. Meet me on next week. He came to my road. He left. He didn't pick up his door. He came to meet me on my road within an hour. And I was like, and nobody else had done that before. Yeah. No other manager was wanted to meet me or come to meet me. They kept saying, come to meet us over there when we're, you know, which yeah. is not bad, but it yeah, showed yeah, me yeah. a lot that, he, you know, he's a family guy, you know. I met, I met his wife and everything. And Sam really introduced me to the whole roster. And we were really like, from the get-go it was just family vibes man it's always been that way so i never had an issue worrying about trust because yeah from the get-go it was just straight up you yeah. know this is everyone this is my family this is my house this is my right. this is these guys welcome you know yeah, yeah. so obviously aurelia comes out on Nero's label and obviously it built a buzz on online and stuff like that for you what was the next steps now that you've got that song you've got the manager you wanted mm. what happened the next that? step was to become an artist and to just actually figure out how we're going to do this because when I made Aurelia I had no plans to do anything else I just had that song and bare beats that were unfinished so once I had that I had to send all my demos to my management and then we had to figure out okay what's 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 next I had to get a studio I had to leave my job because um, I was working in retail I was working full time and with all the emails and stuff there's no way I could have kept working there's no way so I had to get out of my job, get into a studio and make more music. And weird, like, God sent from like the first day I got into my studio. Well, he found, my manager found me a studio in Stoke Newington, where Naya was working at as well. She still does. The first day I moved into that studio, I remember it was an empty room, it was just me. And then I got an email and Sam said, yo, um, there's a band called List that's signed to XL in Copenhagen and they sent two beats for you. And one of them was the beat to Pamela. Fam, the first night I was in there, empty room, just a little a mic and a couch. I played the beat. And I just started humbling. And I started humming it. And I recorded Pamela the first day I got into that studio. And that was the next release. It kind of just fell in. It was fucking weird, bro. It just happened organically. And then I went to Copenhagen and worked with them. And then from there, I started understanding, okay, we have to keep this going. We've got to keep recording more and more and more. And I had to figure out how to get into the mindset and, you know, the professionalism of going into the studio now you're not going to you're not going to retail but it's still a job i had to figure out how to because my mindset was weird bro like doing publishing doing stuff and i didn't know what okay what do i do now when i wake up yeah i had to get into the right mindset and it took a while bro it took a while because yeah. i wasn't in it early on i wasn't in it a lot of anxiety and trying to figure out what's going on trying to handle emails and stuff and so the next step after aurelia was just to continue recording and figure out what the next move was and that was pamela which yeah. is great, and then work on a project. How did you have this kind of fin financial stability 
to be able to like know that you could leave that job. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't fucking know. I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to be all right money wise, but my manager put the trust in me. He's like, trust me, what you're doing now, you really got like offers from, you know, from labels and stuff. So in time, the money will come. But for now, you need to get into a studio and be recording. The day after I put out Aurelia, um, my computer broke, I remember. And I was like, bro, I've got no computer. Like, I can't work. And he's like, all right, I got you. He's like, I can get you a computer, but like, you need to be recording. So and he's like, don't worry about money. I've got you. He's like, so he got me a computer. And then I installed all my shit again. And then within a few months, we were like talking to labels and publishers and yeah, it was all right from there. Yeah. But it took a, it took a little while to negotiate stuff, but I was broke for a long time and I was scared for I was like, I ain't got a job, bro. And I had the girlfriend at the time. No more going out. I was broke, I was so sad, bro. Yeah. But that's obviously like, that is a really hard time for an artist, I think. Yeah. How did you, how did you get through it? What helped you to like navigate that? Family, helping me with money here and there. And just trust in knowing that, look, if this song is working this bad, then people are emailing saying, people are offering stuff. I knew in time it was going to come. I just didn't know when I would get the money or when I would be okay to not have a job or a retail job. I quit my job about five times before I put out Aurelia. Right. And every time I quit my job, I was broke as a bitch and I didn't know if I could make it and I couldn't. First time I quit, lasted a month, had to get back into retail. Second time didn't work, first time didn't work. The fifth time I quit was luckily after Aurelia came out. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I've got a manager now and I've got a few offers. So I know that something will come later down the line. But it was a few months of, bro, I had nothing. I was so scared. All I was doing was recording. But yeah, bro, before that, it wasn't easy. It wasn't just one time. I was quitting my job bare times thinking that, okay, this time's going to work. But I made Aurelia, I think the third time I quit my retail job, I made Aurelia in that break between that and then the next job. But I didn't put it out for months. So yeah. I had Aurelia. But luckily, I'm saying the blessing is that I made my biggest song whilst I was trying to, sacrifice, whilst I was trying to you know, pursue this dream. And it didn't work. I didn't put it out yet. So I went and got another job. So I guess it's time, like an investment into your... Every creativity time. isn't it I kept thinking it was going to work and it didn't work for time but if I didn't if I would have done it quit once and then you know never quit again I would never know you know I wouldn't be here today so I had to repetitively believe that it might work this time and so then you're becoming an artist and you're working on this project is the project you were working on what became Red yeah and how was that process because I guess previously you've just been focusing on finding the right one song to put out and suddenly you've got to put yeah, collecting the songs together. I didn't know how to do it. Right. I didn't know how to do it, and I wasn't on the ball because I was like, because I was flying around meeting labels and stuff, and I've just come up. Oh, Coachella happened. Yeah. I wrote the song for Miramas and stuff, and everything happened so fast. I have no idea how to make, you know, a project to put out. But I did make a mixtape in school, but that's different. I was rapping. Yeah. Singing now after really, uh, I didn't know how to do it. But luckily, it took me a while. But luckily. After months and months of doing meetings and stuff and recording songs, I had enough songs to put together into a project. But it wasn't a thing where I was like, this is the concept of the EP and I'm making this, like like Flag is the recent one. Back then when I was doing Red, I was just going through, I broke up with my ex-girlfriend, you know, who was Aurelia. I was just having bare drama with girls and money. And I didn't, I was just having mad emotions everywhere and, I, you know, becoming a different person. So luckily what I was writing was you know a story of what i was going through at a time but luckily that made red you know i ended up doing it at the end of the year but huh, it was hard you obviously just mentioned it but the miramasa one that came before 
helpline came before red. I've got my timelines all messed up, but my last job was Urban Outfitters. I put out a video whilst I was working there, and then my manager said, hey, Mary Madison is finishing his album. He's got like three songs left. Um, he's got three beats left. If you've got any ideas, like record something in it. So he sent me three beats. And then I remember one morning I was playing it in my room. I went to work and then I was humming it in my head, the beat. And I remember I was like, I had an idea. I had got drunk one night, like at, we had work drinks at Open Outfitters. I got trashed and I kissed some girl on the cheek. No, a girl kissed me on the cheek at work drinks at Open Outfitters. I don't know why she did it, but it stuck with me. And the next day, Sam sent me the beats for the Murray album. And then I, I was working in the changing rooms. I was like to someone, can you get me a piece of receipt paper? I got an idea. So someone went, because you can't have your phone on the floor. You can't have your, shop, your phone on the shop right. floor. So someone gave me um, some receipt paper and I started writing the chorus to help learn. It was called Gene actually. And I was writing the idea. I went home, recorded it after my shift. I sent it to, um, to Sam and Sam sent it to Harry and Alex Miramasa in LA. And then he was like, yeah, um, Mira, he, he, he loves it. He's putting on the album. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, what? It's that easy, fam. Well, not easy, but like, you know, I guess this was a build-up of me writing songs and making songs. So, yeah, man, I got sent the beat. I, I wrote it in, in a retail store, which is mental, whilst I was working, recorded it, sent it, and he liked it. And then that was what? Before April, because, yeah, we did Coachella in April, I think. Yeah. 2017. So, yeah, that Red wasn't even a concept then. I was just still making songs. And was Helpline kind of a weird process for you in that you're getting sent a beat? that's yeah. finished and yeah. you're not part of that side that, of it yeah but I remember I studied Murrah yeah so I was I knew how to jump on it yeah it was weird but there was so I still got some of the beats now but think about it, I've been waiting for so long watching and studying both him and, and Neo and then you get sent free beats by him obviously I know I'm going to do on it like I'm just going to do what I think they would do on it yeah. and then I wrote that song yeah and when do you find out that you're going to go and play this Coachella show? Within like three weeks of writing it. Because he already was booked for it, I think. And then he was just, the album wasn't finished though. So I think within three weeks of him hearing it and liking it, my manager goes, yo, would you want to come to Coachella and perform with Alex? And I was like, yes, what? Of course I want to go. It was so short. It happened so quick. It was like. It was so quick, bro. I had no idea. It was too fast. I didn't. I, I still don't even. I never really um took it all in, bro. It just happened. Yeah. I just left my job, no money, writing a song on the album Coachella. I still didn't yeah. have. I, don't, I didn't sign my deal yet, so yeah, I still yeah. didn't have money yet. Oh, oh, so you're over there at Coachella. Yeah. ASAP Rocky's there. Yeah, bro. Who else was at so, this show? Because it was pretty. Yeah, he had a star. He had a lineup in it. So he had. He obviously had the single out with. ASAP. Yeah. Then he had Charlie XCX for one night. Then um Jay Prince, who's got a song out now with Gold Link and Tyler yeah. Creator. He was he was performed. Uh Kasha, Kosha her name is now. Her name was Bonsai back then. Yeah. She's great. Fliss. And then me and Designer. And he was like like massive then. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, think yeah. about it, it's like designer, ASAP, Charlie XCX, family was mental, and then just me. And this is and your first show, not, right? Yeah, my first show ever. And the song's not even the album's not out, the song's not out, so nobody knows who the fuck I am. It's 10,000 people. No one knows who I am. How did you cope with that? Oh, how scared I was, fam. Azap just looking at me. He's just looking at me. What are you looking at me for, fam? I don't know what to do. I was shaking. Um, as a video, I don't watch it back ever. I was too nervous. Um, so, yeah, it was my time to go on. And I just went, I was like, I was like, 
what did I say? I said, what's, what's up, Coachella? I said, and everyone starts screaming. I was like, oh, this is sick. Because they're already hype. So yeah. I think they'll scream to anyone who comes on stage. It's more nice, isn't it? So I said, what's up? And everyone's screaming. I just done my song. No one knows it. So all you got to do is not fuck up. Just yeah, do yeah, it yeah. and get off. Because you have to use ASAP. So yeah, <laughs> no one cares about you. So I did it. And I came off and I felt so electric. I was like, I want to go back on and do it again. Because I want to know. I know I can do it better now. Yeah. Because it's my first time on stage ever performing a song. Yeah. You know? And I'm singing high on that song. So I was so nervous, fam. Man just come out. And all my family and friends are like, Tom's like, no one even really knew. And so I posted it at like Coachella. I saw man was at retail like last week. Yeah. It was so quick, bro. It was mental. That was so crazy, but a great experience, man. I'll yeah. never forget that. Never forget that. One of the things that I'm interested in, I think it happens with any anyone who's pursuing a creative career is you have to deal with peaks and troughs because, you know, you go from sort of a wild thing like that that you've always dreamed of. And then mm-hmm. I'm guessing like quite quickly after you're like back in North London, back, back in the normality, like how, how have you navigated these kind of things? It hasn't been easy. Things happened so fast for me that when I came back to London and had to make a project, it was hard. I didn't have a girlfriend anymore. I was alone. Like I told you, a lot of my friends don't listen to what I listen to. So I was quite in my own world. I just had to stay in the studio and just keep making ideas and believe that what I was making was working, would would work. Last year in like 2018, I definitely, I was like, I went through a depressive state when I just didn't know what to do because... 2017, I did Red Call. I was making songs because I was going through a massive transitioning period of leaving my job, leaving my girl, doing mess stuff like Coachella, putting out an EP, doing a headline show. And then like, now it's 2018 and it's like, okay, now what's next? And I'm like, shit, you're signed now. What is Tom Trip? Like, who's Tom Trip? And I didn't know. Yeah. Don't fucking know. Yeah. So I put out two songs, the lead one off the whole internet because I wasn't happy with it. And... I had to go therapy, bro. Yeah. I was fucking depressed. I thought, oh, let me go buy. I bought a mad car. Uh, I started doing bare shit. I went blonde. Started doing bare things to figure out who I was. And it didn't work. It made it worse. And what saved me was going to therapy and reading. Because then I had to figure out what's important to you and why are you making music for? Because it's not for any of this other stuff. It's from when I was young. I want an emotional response. I want to hear stories. I want to connect with the melody. I want to connect with music all this other stuff outside of it is just external shit so i had to, i started going to therapy and i started realizing what i was my certain behavior patterns of what i was doing self-destructive stuff i was drinking a lot um i was going after the wrong type of relationships and then what helped me was like spending time with family and realizing that you have to separate yourself there's tom trip and there's thomas egator i'm in, i'm a fucking i love busting drake fam. i'm a lovely nice guy tom trip's quite dark <laughs> Yeah. Tom Tripp is quite a dark person. Yeah. The music is not exactly happy, but then Tom is, I'm, bruv, I love life. Like, I love, like, so I had to figure out you are not Tom Tripp when you're walking down the street. That's yeah. not you. You're Thomas, fam. So stop it. Like, when you're doing music and you're doing this stuff, you can talk about your career, whatever, but you have to split it. And what made it bad for me at a certain point was I wasn't, I couldn't differentiate Thomas from Tom Tripp. So yeah. I thought I was this person, but I wasn't, like, you know? So I had to split it figure out what's important to you when you leave the studio you're out of the studio fam. that's it's done no more music you're gonna go spend time with your nephew now you're gonna go spend time with your friends talk to people 
And once I started going through therapy and understanding I had a lot of issues with my family that I wasn't addressing and stuff, I started talking to my friends about how they were feeling and things started becoming way more clearer about where I was mentally. And when I was in a, the rough patch after like doing such crazy stuff musically, I just figured out like, yeah, you were living, you were, stuff was happening in your life that was important to you, so you were singing about it. But then when stuff stops and you're just you're just good, you've got money in your bank account, you've got a deal, you're just here now. I didn't know what to do because there was no nothing else to sing about. So I started going after like bad relationships. I can sing about bad relationships and sing about exes and stuff. And yeah, now I'm at a point where I fully understand what I'm doing music for. And like I told you, it's like self-therapy, whether that's how I feel, whether that's, you know, relationships, family. I understand now it's all about my life and you have to have life experiences. For me, well, I have to have life experiences to make music. So if I'm not living, if I'm not doing, if I'm staying in my room all week and doing nothing, you're not going to be creative because you're not getting any information. You're not going out. You're not going to exhibitions. You're not getting any new type of information that's going to make you have a creative output. So, yeah, you have to really understand who you are and understand what's important to you for you to, you know, make and create. And at a certain point, I wasn't doing anything. So it stopped everything that I was making. Yeah. And you could hear it, I was making really bad music, but I didn't put it out. What? made you take that step to go to therapy because i know a lot of people don't want to do it Fam, stigma in stuff. the black community i have to say it's not you must know that it's not a thing i'm nigerian if i say i feel sad my mom will say go take a paracetamol what do you mean you're sad go you got a headache go, go to go to bed they don't know they don't deal with mental stuff well at least i'm first generation british nigerian so my parents don't know what that is they don't deal with they don't even if they do i don't think they even recognize it as a mental they just you know go to bed or whatever the third time i met Naya, i was telling her about what i was going through with my family and shit and she went she's like love you should go to at the brit awards she's like you should go to um go to therapy she's like many like a lot of black guys don't think it's a thing you should go and i was like nah that was like two years ago i didn't go then i got told by i got told bad times because i was always chatting about family i didn't know i was going through shit until one day i was in my studio in 2018 and um a producer called locks Rowan, his name is, um, he came into my room and he's like, what's up? He's like, how you doing? I said, I don't know if I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here. I was just going to studio every day with no inspiration. I was just going in because I thought going into the studio meant I was doing work, but it wasn't. I was just sitting there doing nothing. And he asked me, what's up? And I just started crying. Yeah. I just started crying. I was like, bro, I don't know what I'm doing, bro. I don't know what to do, where I am. I don't know what to do. He's like... There's a woman I go to, she's like specializes in therapy for musicians or creators and entertainment. Call her and go chat to her. So I called her and then I went in. She was in Rosie Park. And um yeah, within within four within three weeks I already knew I was I was better. I was in my head I was way more clearer. I knew exactly what it was. So I had to get told by others to go to therapy. But I never went until I broke down, which is not which is not how it should be. I think people should really think about it. it can be expensive i've got friends that can't go because they can't afford it they can't afford private therapy and the nhs list is a is a mad thing so yeah it took for me to be pushed by others to go and now that i've gone i stopped going now now that i've gone i talk openly to all my friends about how they're feeling about shit because that is therapy yeah. i didn't have friends i told you i didn't have friends in music that was like close enough to talk about my feelings so i was just singing these songs people are relating to it but inside i'm fucking crumbling i don't know who to open up to so my music is i told you it's like my diary 
that's what I put out is for me. But I really need to I really need to get some answers. So therapy helped me and now I talk to all my friends about everything so they don't have to go to therapy because we're really talking about it. A lot of people have friends, have a good friend circle that they can talk about stuff on a regular basis so they're calm because they don't have to go pay to someone to sit there and talk to because their friends are there for them. But now that I've gone through it, I can do that to, to my friends and it, it helps them and it helps me as well. How was going and taking the jump and kind of going to that first therapy session? Like, how did you feel about it? I thought something was wrong. I was like, what am I going to therapy for, man? Man's good. I was like, what am I going to therapy for? Like, because it's like, it's got a stigma to it. Yeah. I don't know. It's like you, you mentor something. Why are you going to see someone? What's wrong with you? That's the stigma I had in it, isn't it? But then once somebody, once somebody in music that I respected told me to go, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll go. And then I drove there and I went to the room and this woman, she had like, it's like, like that car, like teal blue curtains, teal blue clock, teal blue cup. Everything's teal blue. And you sit down on the couch and she, she hands me this, this pay slip thing. And I got like, oh shit, I got to pay, which makes it feel like some type of weird service. I got to pay for it immediately in her face. Right. And then she's like, right. So tell me about you. And I started rambling. I didn't even know I had bare shit in my head that I was worried about. I was chatting shit. I didn't know, bro. I, I was talking about my dad. You don't even, you don't come to my show. I was rambling. I was like, hold on. You are upset. Yeah. about shit in your life you didn't even know you were upset about or you didn't think about it so by like the fourth week I was like you know what yeah fuck you you can sit there and listen to me but like I'm paying for you to sit there and I'm gonna ramble I'm gonna ramble all I want yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want you to talk I don't want you to say anything to me I'm gonna ramble and the more you ramble the more you clock it's like you, I heard answers it's like oh I'll say oh why do I feel this way about why did she do this to me and I'm like hold on my dickhead fam you're talking to yourself you're just talking out loud about how you feel about stuff and i was fine like the stigma i had on it before i went was raised by like the second session because i realized it's just talking it's yeah. fully just talking there's no there's no like treatment or nothing it's just you talking about how you feel and she might ask you why do you feel that way and you'll say oh no maybe or she or he might ask you and you'll say i don't know because of this and she'll be like well why does that do that to you? And you'll be like, oh, I don't know, because it is. And then suddenly it goes down to when you were young and you start finding out shit that you didn't even think about. Oh, it's scary, bro. Oh, one time I got so pissed off that she was clocking stuff that I wasn't clocking. Right. And I was like, why are you, why are you making me feel this way, man? Like, why are you? One time I started crying. I was like, this is, this is crazy, bro. Are you, you go for therapy? No, no, Jim no. Vin? I haven't. Because it's expensive, I think. Yeah, see? The blessing of the music stuff was that that allowed me to have some money to put towards therapy. Now my barber, his name's Slider, he's, he's like he's like my mentor, and I was like, I was like, bro, like I want to go therapy, but it's too expensive. He's like, yeah, but you you go out and spend eighty pounds on drinks tonight in Shoreditch. You yeah. go out and spend bare money on drinks. He's like, rather you put money into your mind, your mental state. That you like, God forbid, you have a mental breakdown because you didn't spend sixty pounds that one week. Yeah. Like when you think about it. You compare it to what you spend on clothes and shit, go to therapy firm. And when you put it like that, I say, yeah, you're right, actually. But I was doing it weekly and I was adding up. So yeah, yeah. I cut it down to once every two weeks and I just stopped going. But I want to go back, actually. You said as well, just before that, reading was another thing yeah. that got you through. What stuff were you reading and how did you kind of find that stuff to read? I've had, you know, it's like artwork. I buy books because of the cover. Right. 
I, if, I, if it looks good, I'll buy it. But I just got bare books in my house that I've just bought over the years that I think I'm going to read, but I never read it. I bought all these self-help books. When I was 50 and I read The Alchemist, I was working at Waitrose on work experience and The Alchemist changed my life. And I remember from there, I thought, I'm going to get more self-help books. So I just like collecting these self-help books. So I got, I have Tipping Point, I have Blink, I have Power of Now, I've got all the books you can think of, all the self-help, Eckhart Tolle, I've got them in it. Yeah. But I thought, let me pick up a book that I have in my cupboard. So I picked up Power of Now. Yeah. And that was when, it was like December last year, November, that, that with therapy got me. So Power of Now, is that Eckhart Tolle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fam, I didn't even finish it because I already got what I wanted from it. It helped me. I said, oh, I'm good now. I don't want to read anymore. What that made me um, understand was that, fam, nothing matters like that. Nothing is that deep. That's what got me out of my whole bad phase. It's not that serious. The shit I was I was stressing about with music and stuff, nobody cares. I mean, it's not that deep. It's your mental state. You you think it's this deep, but it's not. And that book taught me that um, the only thing that matters, fam, is now. Yeah. You can say, oh, I'm going to complete this song next week when I've got more. Fam, next week will still be now. Yeah. It's still going to be now. So whatever you do, it, do it now, fam. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow is not even here, fam. So really... All that matters is now. And once I actually deeped it, I've got it on my whiteboard in my studio, fam. Yeah, tomorrow is not here, fam. Neither is yesterday. You have to just do it now. That's it. Now or never. Fuck it. And once I clocked that, only now matters and nothing is that deep. I got more easy on myself. Yeah, yeah. Got more easy on myself, fam. I stopped thinking everything was that deep. Like, oh, this song sounds cheesy because the chorus says this. Nobody cares. Is it a good song? Yes. All right. Put it out. Yeah. That saved me, fam. Power of now, bro. Yeah. Um... Now I've got way more, but um, them books, bro. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah, people yeah. think they're cheesy, but if it can help you, you know, if you can get something from it, check it out. You know, like, yeah, yeah. They're not all bad. So after that, I guess we come out of the the therapy, the reading and stuff, and yeah. you had this project Black that you were working on, and obviously that you decide not to put that out. Yeah, Black was before that. Black was when I was really I didn't know what I was doing. So right. I was making random music, and that was before I went to my depressive state. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't want to put out anymore, yeah. At what point do you decide that you're not going to put that out? I had, I put out Loving You More after a Jungle Tour. That was like first quarter of 2018. It's a really pop song. I actually regret deleting that now. That was my first, I put out a song called Loving You More and it did really well, but I thought this is too poppy, it's too, it's too mainstream. And I don't want people to think this way of me when they hear my music. Then I put out Medusa. Medusa I love, it's a little Afrobeat thing. Then I had another song coming up called Snow, but it was like another pop song. And I thought, if I put this out, my career's over. No one's going to like me because it doesn't sound like Aurelia. It doesn't sound like Pamela. It sounds like I've gone mainstream. It's all me in my own head. Yeah. So I said, I had it scheduled for release on Spotify. I said, Sam, cancel it. Delete it. Cancel the release. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, cancel it. If I put out this song, I don't know why in my own head I thought like my career's over. So we didn't put that song out, but I didn't put out shit for the rest of the year. Not one thing. Yeah. So two songs only. And I just thought in my own head that, I don't know, I was my own demon fam. I don't know what it was. I had demons in my head like, you're going to fail. Put out this song, you're going to fail. That could have been a mad song fam. I will never know now. Yeah. Then I deleted one of the songs. And to this day, I'm still getting messages from people. Where's that song gone? That was my favorite song at work. My favorite. We're going to get married to that song. And I'm like, wow, you, hundreds of thousands, almost a million people was enjoying that song and you deleted it because you thought that it wasn't that good. Yeah. Obviously, you're an artist, so it's your work. But at the same time, my mum told me, she was like, I'll never forget, bro. She's like, you don't just delete songs, people. Like, she's like, you're not going to like every single song that you make. But 
it doesn't mean you delete it. You're an artist. Like, not everything you make is going to be perfect. It's not all going to be Aurelium. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. I should have left it up. Because <laughs> yeah. also, I think when you when you put music out into the world, it almost takes on a different, a different thing. It's not, It's kind of not yours it's anymore. It's not yours anymore, fam. It's not yours. It's fully self. It's not your tune. Yeah. If you put out a, a, a book or something and I get this this meaning from it, that's my meaning. That's what I got yeah. from it. You can't tell me what, what I want from that. Yeah, it's mine now, fam. Yeah. So if I put out a song and people are enjoying it and they haven't, when I get married to it and they haven't at work and it makes their day feel better and I have to delete that. How dare you, bruv? Fam, I was so like, I was, I was like, yeah, delete it. But then it took like six months to come off all streaming services. So by the time it got deleted, I was like, no, 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 no. Keep it up, keep it up. It's gone now. And that was my biggest summer tune. Right. I fucking went off at festivals and now it's gone. And you're right. It's not yours anymore. It's not, I don't think I should ever, I will never do that again. It's not, yeah. are, your job is to make the song. Because when I made it, I didn't think it was bad. Yeah. It's only after thoughts. Overthinking. Overthinking. Stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're going to fail. So I cancelled the last release and that would have been the EP. It was three songs. Yeah. So I put out two. I deleted right. one. I was only one online. And that was it. And then after that, I thought, I was going to studio. I didn't know what I was doing. I actually made a whole project, which no one will ever know about, but it was depressing as fuck. And I just went into a state of darkness because I just thought, I um, don't know. And nobody was, I don't have many friends in this thing. I came into this game quite alone, didn't I remember? I emailed a and I was like, email managers, I don't have a lot of friends in this game. Loads of acquaintances, but not a lot of friends. So when I had my own demons, I was just like, that's it, man. Yeah. Life is coming out, I'm done. And I thought I was done. But I know for you, and you can tell from this conversation that most of the meaning, most of what you're doing is in the process. And it kind of doesn't matter to you whether you put it out or not. How do you choose what? How do you choose what needs to be released, and why do things need to be released rather than just you making them and them staying on your laptop? Hmm, that's a good question. Certain things need to be released for me because it needs to be released from my mental. It has to get out of my head, and I have to put it out into the world. So it's like my story is painted now. Some songs don't need to go into the world because that was just something I needed to feel record and that's for me to listen to and it's not something i want everyone to hear it's not one of them songs but the ones that do come out are the ones that impacted me enough to want the world to hear so it's just a 50 50. it's not that deep it's like and sometimes the song bangs more than <laughs> sometimes yeah. the song's just better yeah do you yeah. think sometimes it's kind of like at school when you're doing maths and you have to show all your workings out mm. but like some of these songs are just the workings out to get to to get to the big one the exactly. things that you want yeah sometimes you ain't got to show all your answers it's like alright I'll do this one yeah. yeah you make so many yeah that's a good point yeah I've made bare little songs in my studio that will end up and then I'll make like six little songs and then the seventh one will be a glow will be yeah. a big one and I'm like, okay cool I feel like the thought train has ended up in this song let's put that one out because yeah. these ones don't really en- encompass the 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 story enough yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i feel like with this new project it sounds like a lot of the things that you've mentioned throughout this conversation mm-hmm. are kind of not an issue anymore like it seems like you had problems with certain genres how would i be perceived yeah but this genre this one is like it doesn't have a genre no it's it doesn't not. there's bare different genres and well i mean there's bare different sounds yeah it is what it is it's an ep and as soon as i got out of my little state and therapy i was like oh i know what i'm doing now in that deep fam you feel this way make this song glow boom you want to spit about you hate like you don't like playlists and stuff all right um quick spit some bars because you want to do that ring is like a ballad fam i wrote that with a guy who wrote chasing pavements with adele that's a it's a ballad 
it doesn't matter. You can sing, bro. That's a good song. Have it. And people can pick what they want. Yeah. If you like that song, you have that song. And bro, that's what music should be about, fam. Just put it out and let the people decide, you know? Like, you do your job. Let them do their job. And um, I haven't got the demons anymore, fam. I'm just enjoying myself and making music that I think, you know, was good. And it sounds like this project to you, it's got songs on it that have been sort of on your laptop since the start with Tam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Tam. That was just, again, a beat that I made with no idea what... I was just listening to a lot of Daft Punk and, and Jay Paul. I was like, okay, let me just quickly record some little vocals and see how it's going to put on SoundCloud. And people liked it. I was like, ah. But then my big brother, my manager, always told me, Tam, that song, that one, you need to finish that song. I was like, it's not a song. I made it as a beat. I don't know what I can make it into a song. So linked up with Grades, Coffee, great writers, great producers. Did one day, smashed out a little idea did the video now people fucking love it it's yeah. great move on next one you know it's the second EP is just me like just understanding where I am now and giving people you know here's a selection of songs yeah Glow's different to Tam Tam's different to Ring the next two are very different and you can pick your one but at least you can see what I can do and yeah, I'm happy yeah, yeah. with that fam. I'm happy with that and with this one Flag obviously other people are coming in on this one and helping you to sort of get the best out of yeah it, it, it's fully you, but but obviously behind the scenes you've had people kind of coming in and working with you, like Egg White who wrote yeah, man. Chasing Pavements and obviously who wrote Ring with you. Yeah, like great. that song, that song Ring is amazing. Thank like, you. How man. do you? How was that process? Because I know you've written it so that every line means oh, something. Man. And the process of writing Ring. Yeah, amazing. Like I went to Egg White studio. No, I didn't know who he was. I went through his credits and I was like, oh, he wrote Chasing Pavements, man. If you look him up on Wikipedia, it's just some of the songs in there are... It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. I went to his... I drove to his house and then I was late, I remember that. And he's got a lovely house. He's like... Oh, he's not... He's, like, he's an old guy, but he's got like a young soul, man. Great vocals. Go downstairs, his studio is massive. And he's like... He's got all this old equipment. He doesn't work like how people work today with Ableton and a quick interface and a microphone. He's got all these instruments and all these old lap... Um, old monitors and desktop computers and it's like what is it pro tools or something so he's he, he heard my stuff and he's like he's like i don't listen to much um because i don't listen to much rap or hip-hop but i really like that post malone guy right. i was like i love post malone and he's like let's sing something like you know he i think he knows how to make a good song yeah so he just i don't know how he just starts playing his chords and he pulls out this record and he samples this choir which is his good that he knows how to get good selections so he got this choir sample and then i was talking about what i was going for at the time he's like well let's sing about that then let's sing about that he's very he's quite posh and every single line he would not let me get away with like a cheat like a little a line that would work he's like no we're gonna what are we saying we're gonna make sure this line means this and that line attaches to that line and every four lines he would read through it like a poem. He'll yeah. be like, um, uh, falling in the deep end, should I even be here anyway? Even when I'm sleeping, I'm not safe like I was yesterday. Great, all right, let's move on. Amazing, and I learned so much from him, man. Learned so much. He would never let me get a bad take. We did one session. Yeah. One session, bro. He's so sick. That was like, I can see why he's like he's a big songwriter because he he's a legend and that experience was a new one for me going in with because I, I don't do many sessions because yeah. I've come from producing myself and writing myself so when it came to working with him 
um, and seeing how he writes and how he doesn't let any line slip, I was like, okay, cool. There's a certain quality of work that he produces that he wants to do with me. So let's get this done, man. And we did it. Yeah. Awesome. And when you do a session with someone like him, how do you ensure that, because he's got all of this experience and he's got all of this stuff, how do you ensure that it remains true to you at the same time? The story, the song, we have to, all my songs are about what I'm going through. So we're not just going to write willy nilly lyrics. As long he can tell me like, I'll tell him what I'm going through and then he'll be like, let's say this and then what else are you what else is annoying you and i'll say well sometimes she did that and sometimes i did this and okay let's make that into a line so i keep it true to me by making sure what i'm saying is what i believe and what i really feel i don't let any line just come through and it's just a lyric it's everything comes from how i feel and what i think and if we can put that on record clearly then i'm good with that i think with my music the more true it is to me the better the vocal performance if yeah. I don't believe what I'm saying, you can kind of, well, I will hear it in the vocal take. Yeah. I strain so much in that song because it's actually a painful song, man. He's like, Egg was like, I want to hear the str- like, words going around like a wedding ring. He's like, I want to hear it. And I was like, all right. So I was screaming on the microphone. And yeah, man, like the vocal performance is so good because I believe what I was saying. And that's how it's true to me because I can hear it in my voice because I believe what I was saying, man. Yeah. Do you go a vocal coaching? I had one. I never had a vocal coach until I did my headline show 2017, December. And I never sang live before. And I didn't realize singing live is different to singing in a studio, fam. Yeah. I had no idea. So my manager goes, let's, let's, let's get one. Her name's Susan. Um, Susan Blair. Um, I went to her house and then she, just tried to, she tried to get where my vocal range was and see where I can sing in. We had like a month of just FaceTime vocal lessons and stuff. And to be honest, I forgot most of it, but the way I'm singing now after the vocal coaching is way different to how I was singing before. Right. I realized that there's the head voice and there's the chest voice. And before I was, I don't know how I sang Aurelia. I would have damaged my throat if I did that in the future again. She's like, you need to separate your voice. And yeah, I had that for about a month, but I don't think everyone needs vocal coaching. Right. Like I met Sam for one time and I asked him about what advice can you give to like up, up and coming singers? And he said, I've never had a vocal coach. And he said, worrying about your voice will cripple you. Just sing from your heart. That was the exact quote. And I tweeted that. And he goes, I've never had a vocal coach and I'm, I'm fine, you know? Because sometimes I think when, when someone's too technically trained, mm-hmm. it loses some of the... Loses the realness. Yeah. Like look at Post Malone. Yeah. He's fucking drinking. How, how many beers does that guy drink? And he comes out with Rockstar and stuff and like all his, oh, I love his voice, but that's because he's singing the way he wants to sing. Yeah. He might be hurting himself, but it sounds hard to me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, vocal coach was good, but I don't think everyone needs one. I don't think I'm, I'll get one ever again. Right. I just know now, I just needed to know where my range was and where I shouldn't go and what's comfortable for my, my, my vocals. So yeah. With Flag as well, you've done your first music videos yeah. to go with the music how was that process that was tense you? man it was tense we shot two videos in one day but tam i don't know if i can dance or not fam i don't know i don't know so we got <laughs> we we got on set and then i had like this dance um a choreographer and she's like i'm not gonna give you any dance move i just want to see you vibe she's like just vibe to the beat like he was in the club she's like don't try and do anything just you know, just be you, like be a bit cocky on camera and just bust a few moves and if something's wrong, I'll tell you, but I ain't giving you no advice or nothing. Just do your thing. So then I asked, that's pressure, fam. What's that? 
that's pressure. It's like 10 men behind, like, behind a camera. Everyone's watching you and then the beat starts and I'm just, I'm doing a few spins. I'm doing a few things. I, I broke, oh, I smashed my ankle trying to rehearse spins. I've got really bad left ankle. I hurt it in football. And then when I was on set rehearsal day, I tried to do all these spins and I fell on my ankle and I was screaming. So I had to go easy on it on the actual recording day. But it was a great, um, it was a great process. I know what to do now. Like I've learned how to cheat the camera a little bit when you're like, when the camera's around, you have to turn left and right. And it was a learning process. But there was so many, the first cut of time, oh my God, you would never want to see that video. Right. It was so trash. Bam. Um, we had a dancer called Regina. She's hard. She's like Stefan Don's um, backup dancer. And put her next to me, opposite. She was finishing me, fam. She was dancing. Like, I was like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm not on your level. You need to chill. So the first cut was her just out dancing me. And I was like, you know, this ain't a dance battle. I said, sorry, can we, we have to cut out. <laughs> We've got to cut out all of our scenes. Like, it has to be, just be me because I look dumb, in it. So we cut out all of the dancers' scenes and just had mostly me. I said, just get all my spins in. Just put all my spins and my little bops and let's use that as a video. So it was good, man. And then um, Glow. With Tam and Glow, it's interesting to me that, because you're the only character in both videos, yeah. right? You're the only person on me. screen. Yeah. That's your first videos as well. So yeah. how is the pressure to be like the only I used person to, to carry the whole thing? Yeah, I used to act. So I'm not, I'm not new to the camera, but music videos, just being me. I, I like attention on set. It's cool. It's my song, so, so I'm not I'm not feeling pressure. But people clap after, but you could be clapping because just you're just trying to. I don't know. I could have been doing shit, but you have to have a certain level of confidence, man. Yeah. So I kept a little bit of confidence, thinking that okay, no, you're good, you're good, you're good. It's pressure, but I did the job. Glow, I already done. I done Tam and these days already. So Glow was like a month later, so I already knew the camera crew and stuff. So I was comfortable with people on set, so I was just comfortable to do my own thing, and that was cool. But I was singing live, which was kind of hard. Yeah. I was singing live whilst I was filming, so you could see the strain in the video. Not easy. Coming out for the first time, as my first music video, it's important that it's just me. I don't want anybody else to be focused. I want it to just be, this is Tom Tripp. He can dance, He's he can he can sing, he's, you know, he's, he's got a bit of a style. Now that you've seen the first two, I want to develop it a little bit more and get some more people in the videos. That confidence you just mentioned, where does that come from? Is that was that always there in you, or oh, have not, you had to develop it? I'm Nigerian. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm joking. Nah, the confidence. Yeah, I think the confidence is the fact that we're even doing a music video, man. I recorded a song. The song's good enough to the video too. Let's not flop here. It's your video. If you if you don't look good, it won't look good. If you're not performing well on camera, it's gonna show, and you don't want bad comments. So, I just forced myself in a deep end, fam. I just. Just try and do your best, bro. Like you just gotta give it. Also, it's not that deep. You know what yeah. I said about the book? Yeah, it's yeah. not that deep, fam. Just do what you can do. Do all you can do, and leave the rest to God, fam. Leave the rest to the world. Leave the rest because I've seen some videos of people are trying too hard, and I can see it. Yeah. They're trying too hard to be, you know. Just be Thomas. Be yeah. Tom Trip on camera. Just sing your song, and do a few moves, and see how that, see how it looks, and leave it, man. Go home and relax, because if you overthink it. It's not going to look good. Yeah. So, yeah right. Obviously, flags out in a couple of weeks, but by the time this comes out, it'll, it'll be out there. But mm. at this point, what what do you hope that people take from the project? What do you hope to sort of see in the reaction? I want people to just realise that I've got many different talents when it comes to music, whether it be production, whether it be 
what kind of songs I can do. Like he can do a ballad. He can do a quite hard R and B song. He can do a dance, like Daft Punk type track. I want people to understand that, like, I can come at music from different angles, and I'm I'm not a one trick pony. You know, I'm I'm here for a good time. I want to hear. I want to be here and make an impact on the scene because I think there's space for it, and I want people to understand that. You can be a young black dude from London and, and, and you can make what you want to make and not worry about being judged, you know, you can be topless on a video, you can just be you, just be yourself and it, it, it can work. The songs are so different on the EP that you're not going to like every single one. Right. And that's fine. But I just want people to, you know, give it a chance and listen to it and appreciate what I'm doing and get ready for the actual album, man. It's a good body of work. It's a good body of work and I want people to just hear it and take it in. I saw a part of the song separately and not all at once because I think these days people put out a project, like six tracks, and everyone's got short attention spans now. So I might listen to the first two songs when I'm done, you know. So I want people to actually take in each song as they come out. So I, want to, I just want to be here. I want to be here. I want to be a part of everything. I want to be a part of what's happening in music, whether that's production, writing, or performing. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the conversation and I want, you know, just a bit of bit of acknowledgement. <laughs> within like the creative process, within creation, what's the hardest thing that you think you've had to learn or overcome to get to the point where you're at now? You're not always going to make the best music every time. You're not always going to hit. You're not always going to get an Aurelia. You're not always going to get a song that's going to be the one that, that you know, sometimes you're going to make bad music. Sometimes... I think it's decision making. You're not always going to make the right decisions, but that's what it's about. Yeah. Sometimes you will do something thinking it's the right thing and it might not be. And, you know, you have to learn from your mistakes in this game and understand that every move has to be a learning move. One thing I've had to learn is that um, sometimes I've had pressure of working with big songwriters or big producers and I felt like I have to make a banger because this person's written the craziest songs. But I met, a producer called Malay, he's Frank Ocean's producer in LA. And he told me, he was like, don't think just because you're working with me that we're gonna make a, a great song, we're gonna make a banger because just because I'm so-and-so's producer, he's like, you're already great. He's like, if you consistently work at a good level over a certain amount of years, your name will eventually rise. You'll get a good rep on you, you know, you'll get the accolades that you deserve. But he's like, I've been in this game for 25 years, Malay you've been in this game for about one year. He's like, you're already here. You're here with me. He's like, just keep going and you'll get to where you need to be. He's like, I'm not, yeah, this is the thing. He said, I'm not better than you. None of these big producers are better than you. They've just done more work than you have for a longer period of time. He's like, just keep working and it will happen for you. But don't think that anyone is going to give you the golden ticket to success. Because I kept thinking, oh, I've been putting these sessions with these massive people. I have to make a song whilst I'm going to, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. But really, Nah, like you're already there, just keep working. It's not about who you're working with, it's about your work mentality and your mental, like how much do you want this? Like, are you making it for the right reasons? Are you making music for yourself or are you making it for the mosh pits? Are you making it because you want to express your story or just to get, you know, a quick playlist, you know? Yeah, that's the biggest thing I had to overcome was understanding that nobody's going to be the golden ticket. Nobody, like you have to, you got to do the work. You have to do the work or else nothing will happen, you know? Yeah. So you got to put in your own work and understand that it's only you that can put yourself to where you want to be. And other people can help, but other people won't be the be on the end of, of you, man. And it's not that deep. 
Yeah. Nothing is yeah, that yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest thing in my studio. If I'm nothing is that deep, don't force it. Do not force it. Don't force it. If it don't feel right, don't do it. Yeah. Just me talking to myself right now. Talking to myself. And what's the thing that you're most proud of about this creative journey so far? That I'm able to live off of music right now. That's the most proudest thing, bro. I'm, I'm, I wake up and I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to go to the studio if I don't want to. I can be, like I said, I was up till 5am today. I was in the studio till 5am because I can. I haven't got a boss. I employ myself. I pay myself. I'm so proud that I've come such a long way from when I was 12 years old making making beats and I didn't know what I was going to be. And now it's my reality that I can wake up and make a song that may make me, you know, financially mad or can put me in a, a place with Kanye West. It's just the, the blessing of being able to make music when I want. I'm so proud that I'm at this point where I didn't go to uni. I didn't go to uni because I, I thought it was a financial trap. I didn't want to get into that stuff. I didn't, you can't put me in the classroom. I've got ADD. I, I need to make music. The government closed down every youth club that I used to go to to record music. So I had to get a job. So I had to go, I had to get a job to buy the equipment to record myself because they closed down all my youth clubs. And I kept pushing. I didn't go to uni. All my friends left. I was been alone in this game for so long. And now I'm able to pay myself, wake up and make music. So that I, something I was doing when I was 12 years old, I'm now doing and getting paid for it. And I've got the opportunity to share my story with you and share my story on record and, you know, perform it and, you know, yeah. Been nominated for a Grammy or written a song, performed a song that's been nominated for a Grammy. That's mental. Yeah. That's the biggest music accolade I think there is in the world. Yeah. I haven't won it, but I've been nominated. That is crazy. Of a song that I wrote when I was working in a retail store. What? What? Fam, it's a blessing, so I don't want to complain. I don't want to complain. Like, when I'm going through deep shit in my mind, I have to realise that, look, fam, you have your own studio, you pay yourself, you're okay, you know, you're working on an album, you're releasing music, people are giving you feedback. It's, not, it's no more just SoundCloud releases. It's no more just, yo, tweet and share my song if you like it. It's You're getting played on radio. You're getting hundreds and thousands of plays. You're doing videos. This is a blessing. And sometimes I can forget that. I forget that. And then I get into my own head thinking that it's not going to work or I'm not good enough. Fam, even to be here is a blessing. So if I can keep that mentality and understand that, yeah, it's a, it's a blessing to be here. So the proudest thing is understanding that yeah, man, it's, I, I have my life in my hands right now and it's, it's down to me whether it works or not. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's too easy to forget that, bro. Yeah, and yeah, then easy. lastly, what does success look like to you? I don't know what success looks like, but I think success is being financially stable, living a life you want to live and, you know, off of what you do and not having to worry about menial things, but then... That's not real life, fam. There's always going to be ups and downs. So to me, I just want to continue doing what I'm doing now, reach a higher level of, you know, like recognition within the industry that I work in and being able to continue making music. But honestly, fam, I don't really know. I don't know what success looks like. I just know that I want to be able to be mentally okay. Yeah. I want to be mentally okay in the body that I live in and the mind that I have. I want to be mentally okay in everything that I do. I don't think I ever want to know what success. I don't think I want to know what success looks like. Because then if you get it, 
Yeah. That's peak. You've completed the game. Yeah, you completed it. No. Yeah. Forget success. Live your life and be good, man. Spread love. Spread positivity and stay away from bad energy, bro. Thank you for listening to Making Conversation with Grant Biden featuring Tom Trick. If you like this episode, then please be sure to rate, comment and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. You can find Tom at Tom Trip with two P's on socials and check out his flag EP on all streaming services. You can find me on social media at Grant Bryden. Thank you to Kiki where this episode of Making Conversation was recorded. 